1: Hey Dude,
4: The 90s Called,
1: with Christine
4: Taylor and David Lasher. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Hey Dude, The 90s Called. I am Christine, one of your co-hosts. Hi, everybody. I'm David,
5: your other co-host. How's it going? Um, I've just had a day, man. Yeah, I uh, had a lot of things rescheduled today. I was late for a very important meeting, which drives me crazy. I oh. was getting out of the shower. And I was getting texts, we're on the Zoom, we're on the Zoom.
4: Oh, no. But no, yeah. no, no. Did you just have it wrong on your calendar? No, it was- it was, Like it my was birthday? A- <laughs> <laughs> your calendar that never lies to your you? Your birthday,
5: I will never <laughs> get wrong again. But uh, no, I had, it was a meeting scheduled for Friday. They got called into an emergency production meeting. So they rescheduled for Tuesday and I didn't update my calendar. Then mm. Then our interview today that's coming up, Got rescheduled Wednesday to today. Ugh. So I was just, I'm in, in a mishmash. And then I had like, a, yeah, whatever.
4: How are uh, you? Uh, so, short circuit. It, that yes. gives me anxiety and stress. And I'm sweating thinking about it because that's <laughs> so stressful. I, you know, I did. It's funny. I did a Zoom reading for a friend's script over the weekend. Same thing happened to an, one of the other actors in it. They were texting because we were getting ready to start. And they were texting the guy and saying, we're all on. Are you here? And he texted back, goes, I'll be right there. And then he comes on the Zoom and he's driving. And he goes, I'm sorry. I thought it was <laughs> at two o'clock. You guys, I'll be home in 20 minutes. Start without me and I'll log in. It's like those nightmares you have. It's a nightmare. You know, yeah. Yeah. It's a total nightmare. Um, but uh, we, our guest is in the waiting room. So, I mean, this is, this is so exciting. So, we have Chris Kirkpatrick in the waiting room. Another in-sinker. Um, and and I'm so excited to talk to him and hear you know because we got Lance's side of things. I'd love to hear. And Chris is
5: the founder. No. He put the band
4: together. I know, which I didn't I, know, which I, I, can't I did wait not to hear know. This. Um, so let's let's invite Chris in. Yeah, Chris. Hey, welcome. Hey, buddy. How's it going? How's it going? We are so excited. Like I, you know, we we had Lance on a little bit ago, and so we got to hear a little bit. From, from Lance's point of view, but, you know, I, I, like I was reading up, you're sort of, the, the, like, you're the origin of all of this. OG. Like, uh, you're the OG. Like, you're the, you're the madman. Oh, insane. <laughs> Which is yeah. insane. So, we have to hear it from your lips.
6: Yeah. What do you want to know?
4: Well, first of all, you're a Pennsylvania boy, I saw. Yes.
6: Correct. Correct.
4: That's, I grew up in Pennsylvania myself. Where at? Um, uh, just outside of Allentown.
6: Oh, what East Coast, East East, Coast. east
4: side? Yes, exactly. I know it's a big on, state. On west
6: side are up in the mountains with the hillbillies. We're all <laughs> hillbillies up there.
4: <laughs> but tell, just tell us a little bit of your story of how you 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 know I, you know I know, know I've read a lot about your your upbringing, but a little bit about how you how how it all what those steps were getting you to where you're at today.
6: Yeah. Um, so it it started, you know, I was always in music groups. I was always doing um, musical stuff, arranging, um, putting together quartets, quintets. Uh, you know, it wasn't until probably high school that I realized quartets were kind of where it's at. Like it was fun to sing four part harmonies and the girls liked it. And it was a way for girls to notice me because I was too small. <laughs> it's
5: always the girls.
6: Always, always about the girls. But yeah, I was too small on the football field to make a difference. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I tried to make a difference singing. And, you know, it basically came about, I uh, moved to Orlando. I was in a bunch of quartets. You know, I again, I'd arrange them, uh, put guys together, and, and, you know, we'd perform at different coffee shops or whatever. And got introduced to Lou Perlman, who said, hey, I just put together this group, the Backstreet Boys. And I'm willing to take your group on, you know, as a second group. And I was like, cool. So we took my group on and, you know, my group kind of dissipated and guys would leave and different guys would come in. And and then finally, it was me, Justin, JC and Joey. And we had a group for a long time. And, you know, it seemed like everything was working out great, but we always were missing that bass sound. And a few years, that's when we finally got... And found Lance and brought Lance into the group, and the rest is, you know, in sync. <laughs> <Well, laughs> Justin was
5: on that. I remember meeting him uh, on the Mickey Mouse Club. I think I was right. a guest of right. So,
6: had on it, the Mickey Mouse Club.
5: I, yeah, I think uh, I must have been on the show Blossom at the time, early yeah. '90s. I yeah. flew to Orlando, and there yeah. was—I can't remember that. That show launched a lot of great singers.
6: That I mean, I was so lucky to find Justin, you know, from that show. I actually, it had come down to where it was just me left in the group, and I was like, you know what? I was going to karaoke places. I was going to everywhere. <laughs> no trying to find, yeah, trying to find guys that I knew. It's wanted to sing, you know, acapella and and you know, do that kind of music. And I called a bunch of agents. I mean, I was looking at everything, and I, I had one guy call me back and. You know, he basically said, "I've got this kid, but whatever." And you know, threw me a Manila envelope, and I found—that's how I found Justin. Justin brought in JC, and 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 like you said, that that Mickey Mouse group. I mean, I was just thinking about that today because uh, my wife was watching a movie and Carrie Russell was on, and I was like, "Oh my God!" There's another one. You know, it was like Carrie Russell's on there, Dale was on there,
5: Christina, right?
6: Christina, Brittany. Uh, Justin, Tony, Luca, uh, Jen McGill. You know Ryan. there was a lot. Of- Ryan. Ryan, yeah, <laughs> Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. Oh
5: my goodness, who is <laughs> casting that show? They should yeah, right? have a they,
6: lifetime achievement award. Billions. I remember when Ryan, when you know, when Justin first got into the group, he would tell all these Mickey Mouse stories about how. Little him and Ryan would run around, and he's like, "Oh, we were crazy! Like we would drink Coke instead of Diet Coke." You know, it's like <laughs> <laughs> we were rebels. They were they were rebels. Drinks milk that so, expired yesterday. D- Disney style rebel. <laughs> Disney yeah, style, as, as Disney fied as you can be, right. rebelliously.
4: But how, Chris, how did you get from Pennsylvania to Orlando? And was it, was it the music? I mean, was that what took you there or did you, was there a a family move or how, how did that transition happen?
6: Um, so, uh, I graduated high school in Ohio actually. And when I graduated at the age of 18, I was like, man, I got to get out of this town and go somewhere different. And my dad at the time lived in Orlando And he said, I used to go spend the summers with him in Orlando. And finally I was like, you know what? I'm going to move down with him and I'm going to start school, you know, thinking I was going to get into some amazing school and, you know, whatever, do stage work, whatever. And, you know, I came down and couldn't get any into anywhere, but I got into a community college because my grades were so bad and, you know, ended up, that's how I met, uh, the guy that introduced me to Lou. and, And that's how, uh, Howie and I actually were in choir together and there was a crazy rumor going around that I auditioned for Backstreet Boys and didn't get it and that always irks me because it's not true. You know, I never auditioned. He didn't I didn't even get to the audition phase. Like Howie came in and when they were auditioning guys for the group, he auditioned one of the guys in my quartet because he didn't need another dark-haired or as he <laughs> called it, like asshole obnoxious guy. Wait, Howie put the Backstreet Boys together? No, Lou put the Backstreet Boys together, but Howie was, when they were having auditions for the Backstreet Boys, he came in and and told one of the guys that was in one of my quartets that he should go audition for the Backstreet Boys. I said, good luck with that.
2: (laughs) Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other.
1: So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back, and spread some positivity into the world. From smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports, on stages, and at the box office, women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, Relax and keep listening to Women Take the Mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs, and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day.
5: You must have been excited when you saw how the Backstreet Boys exploded because what you were working on was right in their wheelhouse, right? And you you were right about what you thought was hot.
6: Yeah, I mean, that's that's very true in a lot of ways, but they weren't they hadn't exploded yet. Like they were they had just started doing like some high school tour around the United States, you know, and, and they didn't have a single yet. So but I saw that Lou was putting money into it and they could actually do it as a living. So to me, that was the draw. It was like I could see the Backstreet Boys are now, you know, they don't have to do work at the Outback like I do. They can go out and and gig. And you know, make money doing it. So, you know, that's how I got with Lou and and you know, we we just got so, so lucky in timing and the perfect storm and you know, the way pop music was coming at the time ta- coming in at the time, but we started in Europe. So, you know, that perfect wave kind of started in, in basis in Europe and you know, getting our chops uh, ready over there and our feet wet. And you know we just kind of learned a lot about the business and a lot about us performing and each other, because you know here we were you know five American kids thrown into all these different countries in Europe and having to do TV shows that our friends and families had never seen, or you know things like that, but it it made for it, it made us better as a group, I think,
4: yeah, you were all so young, like I mean really, to just to sort of be thrown into. Like, leaving yeah. the United States and now you're like, okay, we're working, we're, you know, I mean, Lance explained a little bit of, of the intensity of it, you know, and that you were so young that it was sort of like, you just did everything. It didn't matter. It was like, you were yeah. so excited and so into it, but just how it snowballed and how you just started to never get days off and never, you, you know, you guys were with each other 24 seven, right?
6: Oh, see, I was, I was a little older. You know, because I moved down when I was 18 and the group didn't start happening for another five years. So I was like 22, 23 years old. So I'd already had a head on my shoulders. You know, I'd been to college. I'd been been to school and, you know, the other guys were a little younger. But mentally, you know, coming from such a small town and not understanding, you know, JC and Justin have been on the Mickey Mouse Club. They've done award shows. They've done all these other things already. Uh, you know, Justin was on Star Search, I think, and, you know, all these other things. So it's like, w- w- with that aspect, I was kind of behind because I was from such a small town that never got out and never really experienced the world like like some of them had, which was funny that here I was the oldest going, wow, so this is what it's like to fly on an airplane, you know, type of deal. Yeah.
4: Yeah, no, for sure. I feel like that, like coming from small towns, like that is really true. You do we, I mean, even for me growing up, we didn't take trips to Europe as a family. We did, you know, we went to Maine. We did, you know, Uh, like I was on the swim team and the diving team. And you, you know, you have a very, I'm not, not, I'm not saying for everybody, but in, in some cases, yeah, you really don't get to experience those things. But even I look at you, like I look at all of us now. And you're saying you had a great year, but you're like, I was 22, 23. It's still so young. It's still like, I look back on that period of time for all of us. We all sort of felt like we knew what we were doing, but man. But
5: that wasn't like, that wasn't a little vacation to Europe. I mean, Lance told us he came (laughs) to audition for you and they're like, oh, you're moving to Germany for a year or something.
6: (laughs) Yeah, basically, basically we were over there for a really long time because that's (laughs) where that type of music was blowing up at the time. I mean, that's where... Uh, the, I think the term boy band actually was, we first even ever heard it when we were over there because they were throwing out all these different bands. And I think the, what separated us was that we were American and, you know, when you go over there and you're in Germany, we are mostly in Germany, but Germany, Austria, Switzerland area, you know, we went all th- up through the Scandinavian countries. We went to Spain, we went to France, we went to, you know, all these different areas but everywhere we went had their own kind of version of what they thought a boy band was. And we go in and, and these places were like, Well, we got four or five good looking guys that don't sing and don't dance, but you know, there they are. And then some places go in <laughs> what and do you mean, was, don't like, sing. You guys yeah, sang. Yeah. No, we did. We did. I'm saying oh, no, over
4: there. Yes. Over there. Oh,
6: okay. We'd go in and, and some of these other bands were like, like were, I remember one band, and I, I know they're a big band, or they were pretty big. Uh, they were, I think they were in one of the Kore- original Korean bands named H.O.T. And these guys came out, and I mean, they were breakdancing. They were doing all this crazy stuff. And we looked at them going, all right, now we got to match that. God. So, you know, so we'd go out, and we'd have to sing and then try to match their intensity with their dancing and all this stuff. So everywhere we went was kind of a challenge with you know that country's band that we had to kind of compete against and try to be better than
5: that's so cool though what a training ground for you guys before you launched in america to have those you took influences from different countries you got to work your stuff out and find out who you are as a band before i mean it listen i i'm not going to say it but the original boy band right is the Beagle, Beatles, and they they found themselves in Europe. And then when they arrived in America, it was like, Oh, game on. Yeah. It, it just,
6: it really did. Um, and you know, not to say that every show was great or not to say that every show was bad, but every show we took something from what we did and we said, all right, we can make this better. Or, you know, going into Korea and seeing these kids doing this break dance. And we're like, all right, well, we have to, we have to compete with that. And then also stop and do five part harmonies. So, you know, there was really, really fun and we got to experience every aspect. And that's kind of what, you know, made us who we are. And we brought in all the aspects of fashion, of style, of vocals, of dancing, of all these different things and kind of formed that into what we thought would be the perfect band.
4: Yeah, you could take all of those influences and really shape it to suit all of your strengths, right? Right. Right. Lance right. told us he wasn't really a, a dancer, so talk talk to us a little bit about the dance because you you talked so much about the singing, but like, did you know straight off that the dancing needed to be an element, or was it going over there and seeing what other bands were doing?
6: Yeah, I think I think straight off we were a vocal group, you know, yeah. and that's what we and that's why you know it. We you have to accept it. You know, we're old now. It's like yeah, we were a boy band, but the term boy band to us was this thing that we weren't like, we weren't um, trying to sell uh, bedspreads and, and trying to just be, you know, and teen team. Like sex symbols. You're right. Yeah. I mean, obviously this is not like, it's hard to be this good looking all the time. You know, it just, (laughs) it it really, it, 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 it was one of those things that we, we understood that part of it, but that wasn't who we were, you know, and we started as a vocal group and, Again, I used to arrange the stuff, and then as guys would come and go, depending on who was in the band at the time, you know, when we finally got the five of us, uh, a key part of that band was uh, a woman named Robin Wiley, and she was actually worked on the Mickey Mouse Club. She was the music director for the Mickey Mouse Club, and she came on board with us. and Wait, hold so it all comes back to the Mickey Mouse Club. all comes back to the Mickey <laughs> <laughs> Mouse Club.
4: Everything, right?
6: Our, 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 first would believe choreographer, our first choreographer was from the Mickey Mouse Club. Um, we had a lot. Of, our first show we ever did, uh, Justin's mom put out this big pamphlet, like spray to all the Mickey Mouse Club fans, and we did it at Disney. So we had, you know, a couple hundred Mickey Mouse Club kids coming in to watch this, oh, what's this new band that JC and Justin are in? Which made me sick to my stomach because I was like, "They don't care about me. They're here to see the two Musketeers."
5: But, uh-huh. but it helps your cause, man. You know, it, oh, it definitely if, if helps. If one, one of
6: you does well,
5: you all do well. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Exactly.
6: We're we're a band first, and that's you know, and again, that goes back to we started the, the reason Lance was we found Lance was because we knew we needed a bass, So we had this kid Jason which is how we got the name uh, because he took the last letter of all of our first names and it spelled in sync. And then when Jason quit, we were like, all right, we have to get another Jason, which is funny because I know um, a couple <laughs> of people that now I could have asked. I have a joke with uh, Jason Aldean because he, uh, he knew Robin at that time and was working with Robin. And I was like, can you imagine if Robin would have said, Hey, come join this band we'd have Jason Aldean as our bass but he's not really a bass but but yeah it was it was it was the sound first and then once we realized that you know we we were more than just the sound like we didn't want to stand there and just sing acapella and just kind of you know snap our fingers and do mic stand tricks it was like we wanted to flip we wanted to you know run around jump as high as we could break bones do whatever we could on stage
4: <laughs> and was it did that come easy for you i mean had you had any training in in dance or or was it like a crash course
6: um i mean i like to go to clubs
4: there you go that's that's dancing
6: you know it was it wasn't the music i listened to i listened to a lot of like punk and you know rock and roll type stuff so it's like my dancing was a little different than <laughs> yeah, but
5: during that time i mean eddie vetter was jumping off speakers into the crowd right it was a grunt yeah. scene and then you guys brought this pop music back in in that exact same time so you maybe like had some influence from that
6: well it's it's funny though how if you look at the you know the way time and history works that That grunge scene took over from that rock scene, that hair hair band, you know, rock scene that was huge. And that was what everybody listened to. And then suddenly there was kind of a backlash towards that. So that's when grunge came out and guys were like, you know what? I'm not going to take three hours to get ready for a show. I'm going to run out on stage and do my show with a beer in my hand and a flannel shirt on and and just sing music. And then there was a backlash towards that when it just became all this bubblegum pop and all this giant pop hit with us and Backstreet 98 Degrees and Brittany Christina Pink you know all these acts were coming out that were just total uh, step away from what the grunge was
5: it's like a pendulum that swings yeah totally
2: witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as infinity presents Consumer Cellular. When Freedom Calls, we're here to answer. Call us at one eight 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 Freedom. Half the cost savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line five gigabyte data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk, text, and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon. May twenty twenty three. You did
5: a lot of the arrangements, but I, I want to get into like what was the songwriting process like? And w- what was it like when you broke in America? But you know, Lance talked about the recording. The rehearsal, the tour, rinse, repeat, over and over and over, and you got into this cycle for years. But how was the the songwriting, the recording, the rehearsal for the tour, and the touring? That sounds grueling to
6: me. Well, well, and it was, but you know, looking back on it, thank God we were as young as we were. Like if if you <laughs> would have given me that schedule now, you know, I would have been like you know where you can stick that like my I, I <laughs> afternoon old man naps, but, totally. uh, you know, it, it was, it was, I'd worked so hard on getting that band to where it was and to who it was that I was like, y- you're not going to be able to stop me now. Like you give me the tools now, you know, sleep is just something that's going to get in the way of, of getting this done. So we had, you know, months and months on the road, then we'd come home. And he's—they're like, okay, you have two weeks off, and those two weeks, you're like, well, we got to get together new songs. So I would get together with different writers, and you know, you'd start writing, and you'd be in the studio for two weeks, and then that two weeks is over, and okay, now we have to go do a promotion. You go do a promotion, and now all oh, you have to go do a record, and go do the record, and when the record's finished, then it's more promotion. Then the next promotion is okay, we're going back out on tour again till the following year till you get those two weeks off, and those two weeks off were you know basically to write and and arrange.
4: And the promotion, when you talk about promotion, like just for our listeners to be clear, this was a period of time where you had to go to radio stations yeah, for all sure. across the country. This was not like doing Zooms or showing up at one talk show. I, I mean, you had to really, you were in the trenches.
6: Yeah, you had you had to be seen. You had to do radio shows, a lot of radio shows. And and by that, I mean, not just going to the radio stations, but each individual station would put on a uh, big jam session where they'd have all these bands come in and and they'd be like, hey we want you guys you know to come play this and we're like you know forget it we've only got one day in between traveling from here to Europe and they're like well if you don't come play it then we won't play your record we're like hey how you doing bye, bye. Uh, <laughs> what time do you this?
4: want us there
6: yeah so you know there was it was a lot of uh you know schmoozing the labels and definitely having to be around and and throwing in there you know, magazines and, and, um, you know, the radio interviews where you have to go into each radio station, there's no call-ins, there's no zoom calls, you know, it was, it was in person and you showed up to the station and signed the wall or did some wacky bit that they wanted to do for the morning show or whatever it was. Did
4: their teasers? Did their you know, all of it, all of it. So you'd fly into each city for like what, one night?
6: Um, well it would depend. Like, Like, if especially if we were on tour, if we were on tour, you know, say we're playing Kansas City, well, then they'd have all the radio stations that day lined up in Kansas City and we'd go down to each radio station that day. If it were for a record, it was usually um, flying to New York uh, or LA and then hitting all the big ones there, the big syndicated you know, TV shows or radio shows or whatever, or up to Boston or when you're on the East coast, it's like, we're doing Philly, you're doing New York, we're doing Boston. Then we're coming back and doing Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Detroit, you know, and they try to make them all, you know, close to each other so we could get as many in as we
5: could. Right. Wow. We had uh, Carson Daly. who's a good friend of Christine and mine. And uh, he was on here talking about the TRL days and just how really magical it was. But like, What was it like when you when did you realize that you guys had made it in America? And what was that frenzy like uh, at that time?
6: Man, I'll I'll, I'll tell you, it's funny because Carson Carson Daly was, you know, at the time, I don't think he knew what he was wrapping his head around or what (laughs) he said he
5: was the doorman for all the the fans that wanted to get to you guys.
6: <laughs> yeah, but but I mean but I mean as him as the host and it it was great because we've always had a great relationship with Carson so much so that you know a few years ago we just got a star on the walk of fame and we had Carson come in, you oh. know, as one of our guest speakers because he really meant so much to the band in that time. And it's funny enough because there was another MTV VJ that was being groomed right behind Carson, a guy by the name of Brian McFadden, who I actually have a podcast with now. And um, so him and I do this podcast together. And every day we talk about the old TRL days and, you know, how crazy it was. And he said his very first interview he ever got to do was us. And he was, you know, scared to death because they're like throwing him to the wolves and it's like, okay, here's NSYNC. And we, you know, we were clowns. We were you know, we wanted to act up, and he's trying to get through it. Just like, okay, I got to ask this. He's got people in his ear. And
5: <laughs> I remember Brian very well.
6: Yeah, Brian's Brian's a good guy. I mean, they're all and and I've made I have a lot of friends that used to be, you know, MTV VJs and and you know, you, you we it was such a fraternity. It really was. It was TRL created this whole like college life almost to where each sorority would come in you know you'd have the backstreet sorority you'd have the NSYNC sorority you'd have corn you'd have Limp Biscuit, you'd have all (laughs) these like all over the place Eminem you know all these guys would come in and but they were their own sorority type thing but yet at the same school you know that's the only way I could really describe it
4: Yeah, it was really this sort of universal, like, you know, we talked about remembering, like seeing, and some of our guests that we've had on too, those moments where, when it went from, hey, we're just on, you know, we're doing our thing to pull, and having watched TRL, to pulling up, seeing the crowd there and realizing, holy crap, that Yeah, (laughs) they're here for us. Like that, that sort of rite of passage of like, I mean, that had to have been, insane for you guys at the peak of it all
6: well there were a lot of moments you know like that where you know you would see things like trl or one of the big ones for us was the disney special that we did and when we got asked to do this disney special apparently you know the the, it goes that backstreet had turned it down so they're like oh so we'll get in sync to do it so we did this disney special and you know we couldn't get arrested in the united states nobody had a clue who we were um, we wouldn't do anything that Disney special dropped and suddenly we were a household name and it just became the biggest thing. So after that, bands were dying to get on to do this Disney special, you know, here they were like stretching. Who could we get? Who could we get? Oh, get in sync. And now it was like, oh my God, we're going to make it. We're actually doing a Disney special. Same with TRL, you know, it was like TRL starts and it's like, oh, this little afternoon program where they hoping they can get some eyes on it, you know, to watch a countdown excuse me of your favorite videos or whatever and and it became this whole you know TRL mecca where they I think they even had an awards or something like that you know it was it became its own entity but there was there was a lot of different things that whether it was a tour whether it was shows that we would do and then you would see it start to blow up which was awesome
5: yeah, but once people got a look at you guys and saw you on TRL or Disney.
6: We wouldn't sell bedspreads. Bed <laughs> <Well, laughs>
5: but listen, part of the reason we talked to Carson about this, part of the reason we're doing this podcast and why we think 90s nostalgia is so strong right now is the last time before all the fractured distractions of, you know, at the time, TRL on MTV was like Snapchat, Instagram and TikTok yep. all yeah. in one. If yep. a, if a teenager wanted to see you guys, everyone watched it at the same time. Yeah. Now you got to do I don't know, you all this different stuff, but it was the last time that a show like that could have such a universal impact and help uh, a band's career in in one in one interview.
6: Well, and and we've discussed it a lot, you know, we even joke about it to this day. One of our, you know, major steps that we took was we made a website, you know, it was like, oh, NSYNC.com, we have a website now. So now we have a place that people can go and, you know, hear new music or buy merch or whatever. And, you know, other than that, the phones were just those little flip phones where you could make a phone call to somebody or unless you had a little SkyTel pager and play, uh, you <laughs> know, Battleship or whatever it was with your friends. But there was no, you know, like you said, there was no social media. There was no other opportunities for people to get out there and go, well, what's my band doing now? Like, how do I find out? Do I going to read it in the newspaper? do I have to watch like a update on MTV or whatever? And it's really sad that, you know, MTV was such a part of our culture. Like it was, you know, to see what it is now is, is tough because it's, you know, now it's like, if you want to watch music videos, you're going to watch them on your phone or, you know, on your tablet or on your computer, you know, you're, you're
4: looking up YouTube, right? You're YouTubing everything now, right?
6: It's basically made for you. It's not, I have to sit through, three videos of this band that I don't like to hopefully see the band that I do like. It's, Oh, the band that I like, I'm just going to Google all of their videos, see what else is like that band. Oh, now I found discovered a new band that I like because it's like that band, you know, and, and you just don't get that anymore. And, and, you know, it's, it's the old, uh, back in the day when everything was vinyl, you know, take getting the vinyl, getting it home, Opening it up, reading the notes, reading the lyrics, whatever it was, the thank right, you. like
4: blowing off the this dust yeah, and just yeah. like the, ta- the tangent, the, the feeling of oh that, my right? God. I
5: remember buying Billy Joel glass houses and going home with my buddy, and we did. We opened it. We read all that. We played it from fir- first song to the end of the album.
6: Yeah and that's and that's what you do you know because it's tangible because it's right there and then when you're done you put it up on the shelf and you're like wow that's cool now i have billy joel you know yeah. right here which is an awesome album by the way yeah uh, but you know and and i learned that way too you know it started with albums then went to cassettes and then <laughs> you know finally cd's and it was all about getting that cd and uh you see the jokes now all the time about how we used to all have those little car carriers with all your favorite CDs in it. Yes. Totally. (laughs) Giant notebook, right? Yeah. And, and and it was all over the place, you know, whatever logic, right? Case logic. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. I have like five of them here. I'm going through uh, my upstairs right now. i found like five of them that I'm throwing out because I'm like, when am I ever going to use these again? Like, it's like, you got to get rid of CDs. Everything's on your phone.
5: I saw somebody posted something saying, you think driving and texting is dangerous? You should have seen me in the 90s going through my giant notebook yeah. <laughs> of CDs while I'm driving.
6: <laughs> my case logic trying to figure out what CD I was putting right. in next.
4: Oh, God. That is so funny. It's really you're so you're so right, though, about it, about how like we, we just um I don't know if you guys saw it, but we just watched the, the making of the... Um, it was a documentary on Netflix about the making of We Are the World when they yes. did...
6: Oh, yeah, I saw that. Amazing. Wasn't yeah, that amazing? So good. Especially that Waylon Jennings was just like, I don't do Fahili. <laughs> that was
4: hilarious. Like, I I mean, we were glued to the screen watching that, but I, it made me think of that period of time. I mean, that was 80s, obviously, but like the late 80s when... You know when you would literally like like wait for the thriller video to drop, like it. You were just like everybody was gathered around the TV or We Are the World or whatever. Like it was, you know, it was like it. It, it was just a huge moment, and you know these these huge moments which our generation of don't have those because everything <laughs> is just so accessible. There's no like waiting for that you know even waiting on movie lines and i remember you know where we'd go do that with a big movie but it's, it's
6: when when shopping malls were really cool because you had to go in and you had to buy the new cd or peaches or all those places where you get <laughs> all you know cds from but it's funny you you brought that up because that that to me when i watched that you know i was thinking to myself you know here's all these amazing bands and artists mostly all these amazing artists and each one you know, more iconic than the next from Cyndi Lauper, Bruce Springsteen, you know, your, your look, uh, Bob Dylan, who felt so out of place. Right? It was just, he was so out of place, right? It was, it was this thing that I looked at like, Holy cow. Like we had some of those moments, you know, we had those times where you would go in and, and I'm looking at them and going, I know exactly what's going through their heads right now. They're like, well, I just happened to be in town for this, the awards for the Grammys. And afterwards, I guess we're all going to go back and do this song. Who knows what it's going to be? We know now hindsight's 2020, but at the time they're just, Hey, let's just go do this and see what happens. And some of them are like, I don't know if I really have time for this. And can you imagine like, if you were asked to do that and then you missed it, you were just like, Oh, I was too busy for we are the world.
5: I will say this: When Quincy Jones, Michael Jackson, and Lionel Richie <laughs> ask you to show up for something, yeah, up. who the hell would say no to that? Yeah, for sure.
4: Yeah, but Lionel, first of all, like hosting that show that night, which where he's winning all of yeah. his own awards, and backstage yeah. talking about how Cyndi Lauper's like, "Oh, my boyfriend doesn't love the song. I don't know if I'm going to come yeah. after the show." Like, and then and and hearing her on the on the song, like she, you can't even imagine that song without
6: her. You know, you know, though, Madonna and Whitney Houston were not on that. Right.
4: But th- I do remember someone saying, like, it was between Madonna and Cyndi Lauper. I was like, you know, did Madonna get asked? And I know somebody fought for Cyndi Lauper, but I thought of that too. I was like, Madonna was huge then.
6: That's, and, and you know, that's like saying, you know, I don't know, I couldn't compare two other amazing people. Like, you're going if to, you, if you don't get Madonna, you get Cyndi Lauper. You know, Cindy Lauper is absolutely incredible. You know, it's like you've got this whole amazing cast. But you, I always wonder if Whitney and Madonna were ever thinking that, God, I wish I would have been there. I should oh, have gone. Totally. Like,
5: in hindsight, yeah. Because
4: but- it was huge. And then I just, we felt so bad for Sheila E., who, like, was clearly there because they wanted Prince to come in and they had carved out that spot for Prince. And then it ended oh, up yeah. being Huey Lewis, who yeah.
6: killed it. Yeah. Who killed yeah. it. Yeah. Actually, you know, when you watch it, you're like, "Oh, come on, you got this, Huey!" And then when he does it, you can't imagine any, any other way.
5: Totally. Were were you guest performers on other tours, or did you have guest performers on your tour? Were there was there collaborations that you made uh, with other great artists?
6: Um, we made a lot of collaborations. Uh, whether or not very very few would come on tour, but we did songs with uh, we did a song with Phil Collins. We did a song with Gloria Stefan. Oh, we wow. did a song, you know, we had Nelly, we had Lisa Left Eye on our tracks. Um, you know, we
5: interviewed Richard Marks and his oh wife Oh my Daisy. god. Don't R- even yeah. get started Richard says uh, that song is probably the the favorite thing he's ever written.
6: I I would I would agree with him because and and that guy is like like I I actually after the band went and wrote myself with with him and it was so hard to write with him because the whole time it's just like you know you're looking at richard marx so my big joke was even when we were recording with him um i always called him sir richard marx so it was like (laughs) i mean yeah he he was he was an icon amazing amazing writer amazing singer amazing performer like You know, I I know in the scheme of things, Richard Mark is going to is going to have his place, but I don't think he's going to get his due diligence and where he really deserves, because he's he's an absolute talent. And we had Stevie Wonder play harmonica on one of our songs, you know, so. Oh,
5: wow. Wow. Yeah, we did a song
6: with Michael Jackson, you know, so it's like we got (sighs) to do we got to meet these people and do these songs. I mean. You know, I think the most surreal of anything was uh, when we recorded with Phil Collins, and that was for uh, the Tarzan soundtrack. And he had the whole thing together, and they they were just looking, they had this one song called Trash in the Camp, and they were looking to redo it. And he's like, kind of want to, you know, get an up-tempo kind of vibe to it and get a new sound on it. So he asked us to come in and do it, and there was a part where uh, I always do the harmonies, like Justin and JC usually do the leads, and I'll do their harmonies on verses or whatever. And Phil was like, all right, so I'll grab Chris to do the harmonies of this verse that I'm going to start singing. So I'm thinking, okay, cool. He's going to go in, then I'm going to go in, whatever. He's like, no, come in. And I'm like right now with you. And it was like, you know, that moment of singing into a microphone and realizing Phil Collins is standing there singing into the microphone next to you. I mean, I'm growing up the way I grew up. And No Jacket Required being the first cassette that I ever Oh my God,
5: yes.
6: Those those were moments, uh, Thriller being the first album that I'd ever bought and, you know, getting to do these things with Michael and Mm -hmm. actually shaking, giving him a hug and looking at him and, and, you know, hearing him cough or whatever it is. You know, it's like random things. (laughs) He's just just sitting there. He's not this icon. I mean, he is, but he's not like this godlike. He's just Mm -hmm. a, he's
5: just a man. You
6: know, and it was, that was so weird to actually take some of these artists then and go, wow, they're just human. I mean, they're amazing humans, but they're Mm -hmm. just human.
4: And we're, we are like, like I can't even imagine that moment of getting pulled in with Phil Collins where it's just like, it's so cool that you
5: can all appreciate each other's talent, right? Yeah. You're all just, you're all just people, but I'm sure Phil was like these boys sing harmony, like on, off the charts, right? So like, and you're you're feeling the same way about him, but you know, there's a mutual respect for the talent that's so cool. That's
4: what Richard Marks said too about yeah. you guys. Like he could not say enough amazing things about that experience. Like he just thought you guys were I mean, it was amazing to hear, like generationally too, you know, like when people know good, they know good. Like you're these well, these guys are
6: good. It's funny because we learned, you know our acapella that we do, you know, that's how, again, I started was with these acapella bands. So even in the beginning when they're like, okay, here's a song, we're going to do it to a track. And I'm like, what, why are we doing it to a track? Like, let's do it acapella. That's, you know, what I love. And, and, you know, to know that that was our bread and butter and, and we would sit for hours and hours. And, and the reason I love the guys so much, and the reason the group got along so well was because we were, we would be in a stairwell and walking up the stairs and suddenly we're like hey there's a little bit of reverb right here and stop <laughs> what we were doing and the five of us just sit in the stairwell and start doing like some harmonies and some songs and i remember we were doing an award show and we were in the bathroom because the bathroom was like one of those big you know locker room type bathrooms and had great acoustics so we were doing you know rehearsing in this bathroom but it was kind of shared by a lot of people and suddenly the door cracks open and we're in the middle of the song and i look. And it's freaking Paul Simon.
0: Mm-mm. And Paul
6: Simon just stops. <laughs> he goes, you know, he's talking about our harmonies. And that to me, you know, as much arranging and everything that I did, that to me blew me away because I used to love like African music, like Lady Smith Black Mombazo. And that's a lot of my arrangements for these really cool African, you know, chants of these where they would sing like twenty part harmonies. I mean oh, it was like
5: a Graceland type vibe.
6: And Graceland <laughs> was one yeah. of my Favorite albums Me of all too. time. And Lady Smith was on that. And when he said that, like that was almost like a uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm cool. I'm not going to tear up or anything like that. Like, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not crying. I'm <laughs> Mr. Crying Simon. appreciating our harmonies. In the bathroom. In a bathroom of wherever we were.
4: I just love that as a as a group and just like as a brotherhood, how much you all loved each other. Like I, I when you just said when I, I could actually picture it when you just said like going up a staircase and we're just oh, yeah. stop and just start singing like that. That's that's very Disney to me. That's very kind of like a perfect moment of the, of this like talented group of people who like are in the moment and love each other. It's just cool. It's cool to hear. And like
6: you said, it all, you know, it all starts, you know, from the beginning. It starts with that, you know, friendship and that that brotherhood that we had. And you know, and I will tell you, you know, we are not the perfect group. There's been, you know, knockdown, drag them out fights and arguments and you know all these things. But in the end, you know, one one big thing, especially with myself You know, I can call some of the other guys any name I want to call them and, you know, say that they're a jerk or whatever. Like, but if somebody else does it, you know, we're going, we're going fists, you know, because
5: because it's family.
6: Family. Mm -hmm. And that's what it is. We were, we were brothers and we, we fought like brothers and we played like brothers.
4: Yeah. I've always heard the expression, like if you, if families that don't fight, you'd have to worry about Because that means like, there's a lot of like, people are not talking about what's really going on you're human like you gotta let it out and you and, and like we you know st- the
6: negatives we know the <laughs> negatives about each and every one you know i'm sure you know lance can tell you what an asshole i can be sometimes and <laughs> impatient you know and we can all you know oh yeah well we're we're gonna have problems in today with this person or this person <laughs> you know because here we were starting in europe and you know you think that we go over to europe for say six months we traveled to Spain for a day, so they'd have every um, newspaper, every magazine, whoever coming to interview us. We'd sit in a room for you know thirteen hours in a day and just do interview after interview after interview. So there's no question that any of us haven't been asked that we don't know what the C- answer couldn't is we answer it for each other. Right. Yeah, I, I don't know. I could, I could tell you each one of their favorite foods. I'm sure it's changed. I mean, especially now that we get geritol in our diets and everything, <laughs> <laughs> Certain things you can't eat though, all the Oreos anymore. I mean, we look like we still do, but you know, it's, it's, it's changed a bit, but when we get back together and you know, those, the songs we just did together and, um, the promo we did for it and everything—it was—it was the weirdest feeling in the world because it's almost like twenty years had just disappeared, and you know we were right back to where where we started. And yeah, how did that song come about? Better
5: Place—it's on the uh, Troll soundtrack. I love the song, and Lance came on right before it dropped, and me and my my youngest daughter were just obsessed with it.
6: You know, Justin just finished a new album, and he'd been working on all these songs. And he had that song and a couple other songs. And he was like, you know, these are in sync songs. Like he wrote it and he was like, this is an in-sync song. I can't, you know, I couldn't do this song with a clean conscious, knowing that this is the guys. This is all of us. Mm-hmm. So he came to us and said, you know, I've got this song for trolls. And I thought to myself, man, I got a six-year-old. Like this is right down, this is right in my wheelhouse. That's perfect. And um, you know, he came with the song and we, we heard the song and I was like, First of all, the song's amazing. And then, you know, we went in one at a time. JC went in, I went in, Joey went in, Lance went in. And everybody that went in, it was like, sounded more and more. It was so weird because, um, you know, the best way I could describe it was like hauntingly familiar. You know, it was Mm. like this brand new song where you're like, wow, I really like this new song, but... It's it's like when you know a, a band that hadn't been together forever finds this off track or something like that and releases it. You're like, wow, this sounds like a track written today, but by this band that I loved back then. So it was very haunting that oh man, I hear all the sounds, I hear the parts. It's crazy, Chris. I feel like he wrote that song about you guys. Yeah, exactly. He's, you
5: know, he says, "I'm already up, but you bring me higher. Whatever we do, we do it better together." Like it's it's almost like a full circle moment. I, it, it, it felt to me like the song was written about, about your band.
6: Well, and, and that's, you know, that's what he said. And the other songs, you know, that we have are even more like that and more where, you know, you're like, there's no way anybody else could have done this record, but us. And um, it just, you know, it's, it, it was time. It was, it was time for the five of us to get back in and, you know the the problem is you've got five individuals now who have been apart for t- God twenty three years, mm-hmm. you know. And you know, even though we are brothers and come back together like nothing's happened, you come back together and it's oh, Justin's managers over there, Lance's managers over there, Chris's managers <laughs> over there. You know, it's not. We come back as a band. We come back as you know Chris Kirkpatrick from In Sync for the last twenty years, and and that that makes it a little bit more daunting than just five guys who wanted to, you know, bust their butts and be a music group.
4: Yeah. There's, it's like that there, the stakes are a little bit higher. There's more teams and, you know, it's a, it's, it's sort of like the blessing and the curse of it all, but it must've felt like, has it sit? and, And like you said, you know, you're a dad now and everyone's, you know, older and does it feel like you can, when you are together, and you can put the rest of that sort of riff raff aside, that it is like, whoa, how cool that we are still here and doing this. Like, you never got to get
5: into a bathroom or a stairwell.
4: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. right. Everybody else. Out. Well, the
6: the only the only thing about that is there is a there is a difference now that when we do do that, it's not my son would say doo-doo um <laughs> <not that laughs> he said doo-doo. you're
4: so <laughs> the dad of a six-year-old <laughs>
6: six-year-old but it, it, it's not that you know we wouldn't want to go back and just be who we were because you got to remember that band that everybody saw back then was fearless you know that band had had no fear we did everything we tried everything i mean we were i if you look at most of the videos, I've got a broken hand in, in almost every show we ever did because I've broken my hand so many times doing backflips or or all this this crazy stuff we did because we're fearless. And now, not that I'm saying about the backflip part, obviously, but, you know, <laughs> now that that fearlessness is gone because now there's a there's a, a being behind us. There's there's this sync entity that's out there. There's this, you know, we could fail. You know, and mess up everything we had. Whereas mm. when we were young, we were weren't afraid to fail because we didn't care. You had nothing to lose. Like, nothing to lose. you are not going to like, like Chris Kirkpatrick from Pennsylvania anymore. Oh well, you didn't right. like...
5: well, that's the beauty of
6: youth, man. In
5: anything, whatever business you're in, or athletics, or whatever, it's the beauty of being young.
6: Yep, fearless, fearlessness, and and I think we get that back a little bit. You know, when the I, I know my feelings. Um, and the few little things we've done, we did, a, the only performance we really did was when Justin got, a, a lifetime achievement from MTV, we came out and did like, you know, a couple little songs with them. And I can tell you, you know, if I'm doing a song by myself in front of 20 people, I'm probably more afraid than if I'm doing a song with those four guys in front of half of the world.
5: Will there be more music from your from Insync and possibly a, a reunion tour? Anything that you could tell us?
6: Um, anything's possible. You know, there's there's definitely you know we didn't record just one song together. And oh yeah, we we did a little more, and you know there's we've definitely been kicking the tires on on each other and on where we are at in our lives because you know one thing we don't want to do is. We don't want to all get together and go, oh, well, we're doing this for a money grab. You know, we're doing this because, you know, everybody's making us do it or whatever. You know, we want to do it because we want to do it. And and we want to do it because we miss it. And we miss each other. We miss the fans. Uh, we miss the love of performing. You know, we all do it in different ways. I'm doing like Pop 2K and all these other tours where I'll host and perform songs. And Joey and I just the other night. Uh, did a did a set at uh, some, you know, private function. And, you know, so we do it in little tiny spurts, but the five of us together, you know, haven't done it in a long time. And it's it's a way different beast when you get the five of us out there rather than just one or two here and there. I would say, yeah, do
5: it for the right reasons, but it would bring a lot of people a lot of joy.
6: Well, and that's that's one of the right reasons to us. Yeah. That's one of the things that we've talked about is you know we've had fans that have been there through thick and thin and 23 years of not doing anything together of having to go see me by myself or having to go see joey by himself or whatever it is and you know they definitely play a big role in all of our decision making and, and what we would want to do you know mostly for them and and mostly you know for the five of us to have fun
3: Apple card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City branch subject to credit approval terms apply I
4: I have to the I know we can't keep you much longer but I do have to ask you I have to kind of I'm Always fascinated. I
6: don't know where this is going. But you don't so- know where this is going. Seriously, I'm sure you I don't. don't. Know. Oh, <laughs> you. doesn't
4: know either. No, oh. I, I really have to ask you about The Masked Singer. Like, I want to oh. ask, I'm dying because I'm fascinated by that show. I'm fascinated by what the behind the scenes of it is. The fact that, to me, like, William Shatner did that show and he's in his 90s. Like, it always seems like it's so CIA, a, a secret operative like how you keep it so secret and was it fun are you happy you did it was
6: it scary i'm ecstatic i did it it was it was so much fun i was i was kind of nervous about it i'm like i didn't know what to expect but the people the production everything about that show was top notch and they were so good And it was really, really secretive. I mean, it was it was like, you know, all jokes aside, like it wasn't one of those things where you're like, oh, man, tell all my friends, hey, I'm on this. You know, you sign things saying you don't say anything about it anywhere. And then even when you get there, like as soon as we get into the car, uh, they would have a sweatshirt uh one of those big uh shield masks that was like you know you two-way and they even put gloves on just in case you had hand tattoos or whatever and anytime you were either out of your trailer or out of that car, you know, you had all that stuff on until you put the costume on. And it was but they you know, they really the people that run that were absolutely amazing. And I've done a lot of shows, a lot of different um, Things where everybody's great, but on that one, especially, they were really top notch and they took care of the artist and and they made made you feel comfortable because they know it's a very uncomfortable show. You know, I was singing with a, I looked like I was like seven feet tall and I had this giant beak and these huge wings <laughs> in my chest. So every time I took in a breath, it almost like constricted myself and singing through a little piece of plexiglass with holes in it.
4: It looks so hard. That's what I mean. And, and when the reveals happen, it's always sort of like the, you feel so heartbroken for the person because they're just dripping in sweat because they're oh, in guy. the costume. Yeah.
6: Yeah, you, don't, you don't see any of them come out like Looking they're polished. perfectly falls into place. I saw what I looked like and I was like, yeah, that's
5: miserable. <laughs> it's like a Disney character in the park at the end of the day.
6: Oh, Exactly. Exactly.
4: I know. Thank you for talking about that because sh- it's always fascinated me sort of how how it works because it has to be so secret. I mean, and and I, that was really the big question of like, how are they shielding you when you're getting in and out of a trailer or all of those things? And also one last question, too. Were you involved in the design of the costume or the songs? You Did you come to them and say, these are the songs I want to sing or do they kind of lead you with the clues and all of the what the show is?
6: I found out I was doing the Mass Singer on a Tuesday and I was home with my son that following Sunday. So it was like, I found out on a Tuesday, I think I was a replacement or something. And, uh, I went in, uh, left Wednesday, got there Thursday. They showed me the costume Friday and we figured out what song I was going to do. That was kind of it was really kind of tough cause they have to get the rights to the song. So it's like you, you throw a bunch of songs at them and they came back with no's on everything. And then, um, they said, well, what about this song? And I was like, all right, I'll do that song. And uh, but the costume was already done. In fact, I think it was for a girl because when I saw it before, the renderings had like a little dress on it and stuff. So they put pants on (laughs) it and changed it up. But I had no say in being a hummingbird because I I don't think I would have done it if I knew I was going to I'd be a scorpion. That's what I wanted to do.
4: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Your hat.
6: Yeah. They made me, they made me a hummingbird.
4: Oh gosh. Well, that, I, I love to hear, I love to hear those stories when, when the shows are fun, when you have a, when it's a great experience.
6: Definitely
5: was fun. Dude. Thank you for this interview. This was so cool, man.
6: Yeah. Thank you guys.
4: Yeah. This was awesome. And, um, Oh, is your, is your son into music? Is he a singer?
6: He, uh, he, he's in everything. Um, yeah. he sings, he dances, uh, he really good at basketball really good at baseball he's you know he's loves doing art so there's nothing you know so far we're trying to throw a lot of stuff at him but there's nothing that he doesn't go you know oh man i'm not good at that like he's pretty good at everything so that's the
4: way to do it just like throw it all at them and just see what sticks totally well thank you so much for all of
5: it we're looking forward to uh maybe some of the new tracks you guys recorded and uh, what's the name of your podcast?
6: Uh, So we have a podcast, uh, Brian and I have a podcast called name drop. And basically that's what it is, is we sit there for anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour with celebrities and just want to hear stories. You know, it's like, tell us stories about who you've met experiences that, you know, normally wouldn't go in an interview section, just like, some random night you were out and Guy Fieri was out drinking with you or whatever it is. And we've got a lot of really cool guests and we've had some amazing, amazing stories and stuff that, you know, I had no idea that paths had crossed like they did.
4: That's such that. a great idea because those drop. are the best stories.
6: Well, and Brian, <laughs> Brian, of course, is really good because, you know, here Brian was on MTV for all those years as a VJ, you know, and getting to, Know how to ask the questions. He knows the timeline. It took us a while though to get him off of MTV time and into the podcast world. To where, you know, he's like spitting like 50 million questions out, and I was like, "Hey, Brian, you might want to slow it down, settle it down just a little right. bit. You don't have to go to a quick commercial break here, you know." It's like- we can let this. We can let this question breathe, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. It's, it's been fun, and like I said, we've had some great, great stories about stuff that I would have never, you know, put two artists together. We just had uh not too long ago. We had Low Cash. I don't know if you know them. They're a country band, and they were telling these stories about the Beach Boys because they've been working with the Beach Boys, and just mind blowing stuff was. So it's fun. I can't so wait to listen. Fun. Yeah, we're yeah. gonna
5: follow. Keep following all your stuff, man. And thank you so much for joining us. This was awesome. Yeah, thank okay, you guys. Thanks. thanks, Chris.
6: All right, see you.
4: Take care. Another really great, interesting interview. Just so fascinating because I feel like you know, it, it, I feel like we've seen the faces of Insync, or at least I say we, but I just mean me. But like yet knowing the stories and like piecing it all together and it re- i swear it really wasn't until i i knew we were going to be interviewing chris and looked at you know like his bio and i was like wait he he started in sync
5: right it was interesting hearing lance's point of view of being like the last guy to audition and the next day you're going to germany whereas chris spent years trying to find these guys yeah. and he was like there was no time for sleep i had worked too hard to do this I was going to ride it as long as I could. And uh, and he felt, I feel like he was very uh, present and has a lot of gratitude for all those moments, like working with Michael Jackson or just, you know, when you build something, when you put something together yourself, I feel no, like there's just appreciation, sure. you know.
4: So much. And and just how how much he cares about how they move into this next chapter. Like they're not just diving in clearly. They're right. trying to be... Deliberate about how they do it and why they do it and when they're doing it. And, it, you know, they sound so smart that way. But
5: it does sound like they are planning <laughs> he, on doing it.
4: I, I always, what, 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 he didn't say never say never. He said anything is possible.
5: And he said we didn't just record one song. <laughs> right. Exactly. So we got that. Uh, exactly. That would be cool. And we learned that you, is there a reality show or a talent show <laughs> that you don't watch? <laughs> His <laughs> last week was <with>, uh, Candace <laughs> on Dancing with the Stars. I know Dancing
4: with the Stars is the one I've watched more. The Masked Singer is. It has always sort of been that like I can't not watch it, but I'm totally freaked out by it too. <laughs> but but da- I've never. I seen don't it. watch they're- it religiously. I watch yeah. it like it d- like cool. I tap in or I'll, or my or Quinn would show me like the YouTube videos of like. You know, I think Dennis Rodman did like basket NBA players would do it, and and you see them like coming out of this cu- oh, crazy. Cu- and and you know, Chris is a singer, so that's the gift of like when there's a good singer on a show like that. But usually well, they don't even the have singers.
5: Singer Dennis Rodman comes out and sings like. Terribly. No, that's the
4: point. That's the, I think they they like auto tune a lot of their voices and stuff. But when when it's a good uh-huh. singer, you really know. You, you know, it's somebody who's, you know, a lot of musicians do it too. But anyway, I, yeah. Anytime I see a reality and I'm also just fascinated by reality television, like yeah what the thought process is of doing it. Is it fun? Is it a nightmare? Do you, you know, regret every second of it? And so far. I
5: agree. Leaving your comfort zone. I, that whole thing, you know, is, is interesting, but great interview. And, uh,
4: yes. Thanks everybody for joining us. Yes.
5: Thank you for listening. We got a great one next week. And, um. Have a great week, everybody, and you too, Christine.
4: You too, David. Bye. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe and give us five stars. And please
5: follow us on Instagram at HeyDudeThe90sCalled. See you next time.
2: Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 4 24 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a straight-talk extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto-pay discount. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, information.